We're being world changers. All we have to do is tell people about Jesus and tell them what he did for you. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for July 30th, 2017. Today, Pastor Olu continues his message entitled, Our Mission, Our Purpose. Paul stood up and this was his first defense. And he turned to people and he started speaking in Arabic. And the Bible says that he started off and he pretty much said, you know me. He told them about Jesus and how the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. He told them about how he got converted, what happened to him. And he told about his obedience to God. Continuing on his theme of world machines, Pastor Olu brings us the story of Paul and how God used him as a world machine. So grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's word here on Followers of the Way. I want to keep in the thing of, of the world machines. You know, we, we, we showed that a couple of weeks ago, the, the big machine from Batman, Superman. But our responsibility as a body to Christ is to change this world and turn this world into the kingdom of God. And I was thinking about uh, um, some people in the word of God who, who did that. Before we get into that, I was thinking about um, just stories. Like, I love stories. I love movies. I was talking about movies earlier, but I really love movies and trilogies. And I really get in, embedded in it. You guys know already. Uh, Star Wars, of course, it's not six movies or seven movies now. It's, it's one big movie, you know, and everyone should have already seen all of them. And, 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 and understand fully every intricate detail of what's going on. You got Lords of the Rings, you know, that's three epic movies that all woven together and they, and they show different things and I love watching them and it's amazing. Uh, the, 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 the new thing, well not new, but you got the Game of Thrones that's on and, and everybody's talking about the Game of Thrones and how crazy it is and how interweaving, it's not a word, but how, how, how amazing it is in the storyline and everything. And I think about that and think of old ones like Braveheart. Y'all, everybody seen Braveheart? Yeah. Has everyone seen Braveheart? You have not? Okay, you, seen it? you gotta see Braveheart. It's a, it's a, it's an incredible movie. Uh, and then Gladiators, of course, Gladiators. Uh, what's going on with that? But in reading the Bible, and we were talking about this the other day with Jaden when he came back from camp, um, how some, the crazy stories is in the Bible, how somebody should like take them and make like, like movies out of them. You know, it's, it's crazy what's going on. And, you know, as you guys are reading through the Bible, when you read through Samuel and Kings and Chronicles and you see all those stories and everything that's going on, it's like incredible. Like, yo, this, these people were popping off up here. You know, it, it's really crazy what was going on. And to, to sit back, I'm excited. I like stories like that. I'm really excited about it. And we're going to get into one today. And it's interesting when you look at the Bible and the word of God. It's very important to understand the setting. And Padilla talks about this all the time. It's very important to understand what was going on during the time that these Bible situations were happening. Because that's really what shaped the details of what was going on. That shaped the why people were saying the things they did. And so when you think about the New Testament, it's really difficult to really understand what was going on. Why did Jesus say that? Why did Paul do that? It's really difficult to understand without understanding what was going on in that culture. And during that time, it was, a uh, well, real quick. I said I'm gonna do this, but real quick. So you had the world, right? And, and, and the world was going about its business and it was wars and wars and wars. And finally, this one guy came along and he conquered the entire world. Like literally, he conquered the entire world. His name was Alexander the Great. 
So you got Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great came along and conquered everything. There's probably some E's or A's in there that shouldn't be in there, but it's Alexander the Great, okay? So he came along and he conquered everything. So he was in charge of everything. When he died, there was some battle over who was going to take over after him. He had some generals, and so they kind of split his kingdom up. Then after that, so the Greek, of course he was Greek, and the Greeks, they were running everything. And with the Greek, we have Greek culture, and then the Greeks came with their language, and then Greeks came with their gods, and their science, and their biology, and their literature, and their poetry, and their philosophy, Aristotle, and Socrates, all those guys. And so it was a very rich culture world that the Greeks came in when they took over. After that, the next power that came up was, of course, the Romans. And so Roman, Roman, the reason I really like Roman because when a friend of mine, my name was George Lucas, when he uh, <laughs> put together this epic story uh, called Star Wars, he patterned a lot of it from the Romans, what went on in Rome. And so when you look at Rome, Rome started off as, you know, there was a power, they were there, but then they decided they had kings and whatnot, but then they decided that wasn't working too well, and they decided to form this, what was called the Roman Republic, okay? And the Republic of Rome was guarded by, ran by senators. You know, there were senators, just like in Star Wars. And so the senators ran the Republic. And so the Roman Republic, and there were some senators, there were some senators who had a little more weight than the other guys, right, in the, in the Senate that was ran. So you had four dudes in particular. It was Pompey, a guy named Pompey, a guy named Crassius, a guy named Caesar, a guy named Octavius, and a guy named Anthony. Anthony, actually. And you remember Anthony, Mark Anthony, Mary Cleopatra, and all that back in the day? All this was what was going on. This was real people during the time of Old New Testament, what was going on, or a little bit before the New Testament. Anyway, so Rome came, they conquered everything, they had their republic. Uh, Pompey, as a matter of fact, he went out and he conquered Judea. So that was all, you know, it was Israel, the Jews. So he actually conquered, brought that into the empire. And there was beef that went on. So when you look at these stories, what was going on during this time of the New Testament, and the different interworkings that was going on. So you had a couple of guys, you got Pompey, Cratius, and Caesar. And what they did, they formed a secret alliance inside the Republic of Rome, okay? And Rome was in charge of everything, right? So they formed a secret alliance against the Senate. Then there was some beef that went on because of that. And then what happened was Cratius died, and then Caesar and Pompey had beef with each other, okay? And then... Caesar died, he got jumped and killed, and then Mark Anthony hooked up with uh, Octavius, and they went against Pompey, and then Mark Anthony and Octavius was in charge, and then they had beef, and then Octavius finally came in charge, and then when Octavius came on, they decided to go from this republic, Roman Republic, to this thing they call the empire. You see where I'm going with this? It's, it's the empire. So it's empire. And so in his empire, there was one emperor, a guy who ran everything. So it was Octavius, and he changed his name. His name was really Augustus, and so he was known as Caesar Augustus. And you remember in the book of Luke, in the New Testament, when Jesus was born, there was a guy named Caesar Augustus. So what the Romans did was a little bit different. The Romans, if they came to your country, they didn't just conquer you, kill everybody, and then make it theirs. They came in and said, hey, we're the Roman power, and we're, gonna, we're bigger and more powerful than all of you. So what we're going to do is just let you know we're in charge now. That's, that's cool? Good. So we're in charge. So we don't have to kill you. So what we're going to do is we're going to let you still be 
king in your area and you still the ruler of your people, but you answer to us, you do what we tell you to do. All right, cool. And so that's what they did. That's what made them the empire so great because they didn't have to go influx and have their presence there. They put these kings in place. And what they did, they would put these governors over certain areas, right? So I'm the Caesar, I'm the emperor, and we have two different kingdoms here, okay? And so you would be the king of your side of the aisle, and Chaz, actually Eden, we'll let her, she'll be the queen or in charge of this side of the aisle, okay? She's of the people, the people know her, they're familiar with you. Paula, Paula of the people, the people know you're familiar with you. And so you're the king, but you do exactly what I tell you to do. It's kind of like a puppet master. I'm really in charge, but I'm gonna put you there. Oh, and to watch you guys to make sure you do what you're supposed to do, what the Romans used to do, they sent a governor, a Roman guy, to come over and watch all of this, okay? And so a governor would come and he'll have an area, he would represent, of course, Caesar, and then he would make sure that the king over here did everything he's supposed to do, and the king over here did everything she was supposed to do, and everything was cool. In the Bible, you hear about these guys. Remember Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate was one of those governors sent by Caesar, and his area was Judea. And so though they had the kings, King Herod and King Agrippa, they were, and notice I'm using the air quotes, they were the kings over the area. But the governors was the one actually running because they represented Caesar. And so I won't get into too much detail, but if you can think about all the crazy stuff that could happen in a system set up like that, that's what was going on. There was bribery going on. You had uh, uh, the Jews who looked at the king like, eh, you ain't really king. And so you had the king who was trying to do everything to please the people, but at the same time trying to please the Romans. Then you had the governor who was representing Caesar, and so they had to make sure that there was peace kept over here. Because if stuff ruckus broke out, the Caesar would be like, hey, you don't know what you're doing. Dead. And so now I'm trying to make sure there's peace over here. So I'm talking with the king. We got a relationship. I'm talking with the people. I want to make sure things go on. And there was bribery. There was murders. There was deception. There was secret alliances. There was all this crazy stuff going on. So you look at a movie like Gladiator. I don't know how, how much you remember that. Remember there was uh, the, the Caesar, and he didn't think his son was good enough to be Caesar, so he adopted Gladiator and told him, when I die, you're going to be Caesar, I'm going to tell everybody tomorrow. But then his son heard about it, and so he killed his daddy so he could be Caesar, and then went back to the general and said, hey, I need you to sway your allegiance to me. All that stuff that was going on in that movie, that wasn't even close to the crazy psychoticness that was really happening in Rome in Judea, in Samaria, in uh, 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 Syria, in that whole time. And so we had emperors who were running everything from Caesar to Augustus to Tiberius to Caligula. Y'all know about Caligula? He was, think as evil as you can right now. Think about the most evil person you ever heard of in your life. And then multiply that by Satan. That's Caligula. I'll, I'll let you do what you want to do with that. Then there was Claudius, and then there was Nero. So all these guys were emperors that came around, and then, like I said, they had these governors who were put in place to do different things. They would have represented them. So Pontius Pilate was one. Remember when, when Jesus, the Jews wanted to kill Jesus, and they tried to kill him, they said, let's take him to Pontius Pilate. Because the governor 
He was in charge from the Roman side, and they say, we can't just go kill people. We got to get Romans, permi Romans permission. So let's go to Pontius Pilate. So they went to Pilate, and Pilate was like, I wash my hands. This man ain't done nothing. But if you want to kill him, y'all go ahead and do it. So they had the permission. They do what they want to do. So all this stuff was going on during this time. So think about the, 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 the economics that were going on during that time. Rome was in charge, so they were levying taxes on people. Think about the culture that was going on. The Greek culture, as Padilla talked about a couple weeks ago, was still heavy. It was a language that the proper people spoke. Even some of the Jews were Hellenized, the Hellenistic Jews. So they were the ones who, we're not going to really chill with this Jewish side. We're going to chill with these other people. We're going to be Americanized in the Greek fashion. So all that stuff was going on during that time. And then this God sent his son. And so you had King Herod who was known as Herod the Great. And when the wise man came and said that, hey, we heard that there was a king here, Herod was like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm king. I'm in charge. And the thing about Herod, remember, so he went out and he killed all the babies under two years old. Herod had a relationship like this with Rome. As a matter of fact, Herod sent his kids to Rome to school. And so you got some Jews there who were sent to Rome to learn and to study. Those were Herod's kids. And if you look at Herod's grandkids, they sent their kids. As a matter of fact, some scholars say that one of Herod's grandsons, who was Agrippa II, was actually born in Caesar's palace. And so there was this relationship that was going back and forth between the kings. The actual word is funny. The word there is actually called pretender. That's what they were called, the pretenders. That's crazy, right? Because we, we took pretend to actually mean you fake and you lying or something. But pretend back then meant that you're the face, but you're not really the face. And everybody knows it. Yeah, yeah, like that. And so they were called the pretenders that were there. And so in this, in this vein, all this stuff was going on. So we had all these kings that were come, carried the king. Then he had a son who had another son, another son. And then we get to this king called Agrippa. And Agrippa... Uh, the second. He was actually born in the emperor's house. He used to walk around a lot with his sister slash wife, who was Bernice. Now remember the Romans, I told you about, uh, about Caligula, right? Take the most evil person you know, multiply by Satan. All of them castles like that. And so the Jews were so close to that, so you had, they were now participating in the same things that these people were doing. So Agrippa II was king. He had a wife, sister, named Bernice. At that time, uh, a little bit before then, the governor from Rome, his name was Felix. So it was after Pontius Pilate, sometime when then it was Felix. So Felix was the governor. And then Claudius was the emperor, and then Nero became emperor. So all this time, in the midst of this, this little baby grew up in Bethlehem, came to be 30 years old, and he started this craziness, and people started following him. And he died, and supposedly he rose again. And these group of people started following him called the way. In the midst of this Greek influence, in the midst of this Roman power, in the midst of this pretenders and kings and governors and Caesar and gladiators and coliseums and all this craziness was going on, this little thing called the way was brewing. And in this... If you turn with me to Acts chapter 21, we get Paul. Now, Paul shows up, and we know the story of Paul. He was out trying to kill the way. He was finding people who believed in this Jesus, and he was throwing them in jail, persecuting them. 
He got stopped on the way to Damascus one day and God snatched him up and Jesus said, why are you doing this? Paul was converted and he instantly went out and he became one of the greatest missionaries of all time. Paul's mission, Paul's reason for conversion, God told him and he reminds us all the time, was to spread the way to the Gentiles. So Paul was one of the first world machines. And he went on several missionary journeys across Europe, which was back then the world, changing the world for Christ, changing the world for God, being a world machine. And so because of that, the Jews wanted to kill him. And so there was plots. I mean, Paul got beat up almost like every other day. One time the Bible said they beat him up so bad they thought he was dead. They left him from dead. Like, oh, we killed him. Yes. And they left him. All the time he got beat, shipwrecked, all this stuff because the Jews hated and wanted to kill him. Why? Because he was shaking up their system. They had this nice, cute thing that was going. The Pharisees was running stuff. The Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests. All this stuff was cool. And Paul comes in and starts talking about this Jesus guy who was rose from the dead. You guys have been doing all this wrong. And so the Jews wanted to kill him. So Paul, being a world machine, in the midst of all this stuff that was going on, God said, Jesus came to him and said, I'm choosing you to go convert the world for me. In all this craziness that was going on, I'm choosing you to go convert the world for me. The Pharisees called him a traitor because remember, Paul used to be a Pharisee. Matter of fact, in Galatians, he reminds you, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I like what Paul brags. It's, it's hilarious because it's true, <laughs> but it's still hilarious. He said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. So the Pharisees hated him. The Sadducees didn't like him. The Sanhedrin. So back then, the, remember, the Romans would let you still pretend you were in charge? And so in God's land, with the Jews, they had their own government. And so there was the priests, the kings, and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees who were in charge. And so the Sanhedrin was this collection of like the chief priests and the Pharisees and some Sadducees and some elders who were pretty much running the religious aspect for the Jews in Judea. Crazy thing about it, remember the priests, they came from the line of Levi, and they were, you know, God chose who the priest was going to be as he went from time to time to time. One of the duties of the governor, the Pontius Pilate, or the Felix, one of their duties, they were actually the ones picking who the priests were. So they were already in violation of God's word, because you had this Roman guy walking in and say, okay, you're the priest today. So remember when Jesus, there was a, who was a priest when Jesus? Was Caiaphas? Or was it Ananias? It was Caiaphas. Yeah, it's Caiaphas. Remember Caiaphas? And they took Jesus and Caiaphas was claiming all this. That was, he wasn't a priest because of the proper line, how it went. He was a priest because he was appointed priest by the Romans. And so all this perversion of how God has set things up was going on during this time. And so Paul was out there doing this, changing the world, being a world machine. Because God had told him, Jesus said when he saved him, I'm saving you for the purpose of spreading my kingdom to the Gentiles. Anybody that's not a Jew. So that's why he went to Ephesus and Colossae and the Philippi and wrote these books, Philemon and Philippians and Colossians. He went all these places because he was being a world changer for God. When God saved us, he saved us with a purpose, you, me. He saved us to be world changers. And we see that in scripture. And so my responsibility once I've given my life to Christ, once I've received and believed, my responsibility now is to go out of these doors and change the world for Christ. And we got a perfect example of Paul. It ain't easy. 
At times, it's not fun. Look at what Paul went through. But he was on a mission. Why? Because God had told him, the reason I'm saving you is to get out there and convert this evil, wicked kingdom for me. And boy, was it evil. And boy, was it wicked. Because if you study Rome and all that stuff they were doing, some crazy stuff was going on. And that's what God sent Paul. That's what God has sent us. Our world right now, our Rome, our Gentiles, or anybody outside that door. And our responsibility is to be world changing no matter what comes on and to make sure we can give a defense for Christ. So Paul went out and he was doing all his missionary journeys, three major missionary journeys did. But the whole time Paul was like, you know what? I want to go to Jerusalem and I want to get to Rome. And as you look through all the letters, you talk about Paul always talking about I want to get to Rome, I want to get to Rome, I want to get to Rome. During the end of his last third missionary journey, he was headed back to Jerusalem. And some guy walked up to him and he prophesied. Actually, a prophet came and said, look, if you go back to Jerusalem, man, they're going to bind you, capture you, take you to Rome, and they're going to kill you. So don't go back to Jerusalem. Just stay out. Everybody was telling Paul, stay out of Jerusalem, stay out of Jerusalem. But Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem. Paul said, I need to go to Jerusalem. So Paul went to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem was this hub of where the Jews were, those people who hated him. That's where the chief priest was, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. All those people was there. And so when Paul shows up in Jerusalem, the Bible says he hooked up with James and Peter. He talked with them. They had a good time. Some things went down. They told him to go to the temple. So he went to the temple. Now, this temple, by the way, wasn't the temple that Solomon built. Remember? Because that was destroyed. It wasn't the second temple. This was the temple that, that Ezra and them built. This was the temple built by Herod the Great who was, remember, the quote-unquote king, who was really, really cool with Rome. As a matter of fact, he built cities. He built a city called Caesarea. Caesarea was like the, the New York City in Judea. It was a port. It was where everybody went. He built this uh, 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 waterway he built. He built cities all over. He built this mountain called the Temple Mount, and there he put the temple, Herod's Temple, what it was called. And so Paul went to the temple. And when Paul was in the temple, he went to worship. He was doing some things, blah, blah, blah. The Bible says in Acts chapter 21, he was there in the temple. And while he was there, the Bible says some Asian Jews showed up. I thought that was interesting. But some Asian Jews showed up and they saw Paul and it was like, hey, that's that dude who's walking around the world telling people about this Jesus. That's this dude who telling us that giving these sacrifices is wrong. That's this dude who telling us we should all believe and follow this Jesus cat. We should kill him. I'm like, well, we just can't kill him for no reason. There's got to be some other reasons for that. And so they made up this thing. They said, you know what? So there was this rule. Well, we talked about this in Ephesians. Remember there was a rule that in the temple, Gentiles couldn't go past this certain wall? Y'all remember we talked about that? And so in Ephesians chapter 3 or 2, Paul talks about we can now go beyond the wall. So there was this wall there, and then a sign on this wall saying, no heathen or no Gentile can go past this point. And everybody knew Paul used to hang with these Gentiles, these heathens. And so what they did, they saw this guy from Ephesus. What was his name? They saw this guy from Ephesus uh, who was in Jerusalem during that time. And they saw him and they saw Paul. And so they came together and they made this plot and said, yeah, not only that, not only is Paul in this temple, but Paul brought this Ephesus dude, this dude from Ephesus into the temple. So it's like, okay, now we can kill him. And so the Bible said they snatched Paul out, they dragged him out, and they started beating him. Beating him, beating him, beating him. The Bible said they were beating him so he would die. 
Ruckus came up, a big riot popped off. But think about this. What was Paul doing? He was being a world changer. That's all he was doing. He was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. He was actually in the temple. And they dragged him out, and they were beating him to death because he was doing what God wanted him to do. Now, that might have been it for me. You know what, God? <laughs> I appreciate you knocking me off the horse and all this kind of stuff. But, but now I'm getting gang jumped. I'm getting jumped here. Really? So I, I think I've done that. I've been on three missionary journeys. Three of them. <laughs> I'm good. I've been to Ephesus, to, to, to Colossae, to Philippi, Corinth. I think I'm good. But Paul kept going. In times, as we're out here missionary, being missionaries, as we're out here being world changers, it ain't going to be perfect every single time. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have hard times. It's going to be struggle. As a matter of fact, not just struggle. These were God's people. The priests, the elders, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the people supposed to love God. They were beating him to death on the steps of the church. <laughs> that could have been it for Paul. Matter of fact, it got so bad, it's got so much ruckus that the guy in charge of that area, the name of Claudius Lysias, he heard what was going on. He grabbed the centurions and a bunch of Roman soldiers, and they came up, and they broke up the fight, and they picked up Paul, his blood itself off the ground, and was like, yo, man, what, what's going on? Who, what's, what happened? Who started this? What's going on? And the Bible said, with so much commotion, they didn't, couldn't even tell what was going on. And as he was dragging, he said, you know what? We're going to take him back to the barracks. As we take him back to the barracks, he stood up, and Paul turned to Claudius, Lysias, who was a Roman, and he spoke to him in Greek. And this is cool. He spoke to him in Greek, and he said, let me talk to the people. Now, what Claudius thought was, I told you it was crazy during that time. It was this group called the Sakiri. The Sakiri was ran by this guy who was an Egyptian who showed up in Jerusalem one day and said he was all powerful, like a god type, and he was going to stand in front of the walls of Jerusalem and command them to fall down. And so a bunch of Jews like started following him, thinking that he was the one that's going to free them from Rome. And then it came to the point he went in front of Jerusalem and the walls didn't fall. So all the Jews got mad and riots broke out and he skipped town. And so they were looking for this guy. And so Claudius thought, this must be that Egyptian. I got this dude. I'm about to lock him up, call Rome. I'm about to get props. But when Paul turned to him and talked to him in Greek, he was like, oh, this can't be the Egyptian. This dude, no Greek. And Paul said, let me talk to the people. Think about that. Paul was just getting beat on the steps of the church by the church folk. World changer. He could have been like, you know what? That's it for me. I'm done. I'm in Jerusalem. I've done my job. But they picked his bloody self off the ground. And he turned around and he said, let me speak. No matter what we go through, we have to make sure that we will continually preach the word of God. We have to make sure that we continually stay on our mission. And our mission is to change the world. In Acts chapter 22, verse 3, Paul gave what's called his first defense. And what's cool about it was, though he talked to that dude in Greek, when he turned around and talked to the people, he switched it up to the Hebrew language. And he started speaking in Aramaic. And what I thought about then was Paul was prepared for this. When it was time to speak Greek, he was able to speak Greek. When it was time to speak Hebrew, he was able to speak Aramaic. Because God has prepared him and he had prepared himself for every opportunity he was coming up on. We, as world machines, our responsibility is to prepare ourselves 
for every opportunity that we come against. We have to be able to speak Greek when we're talking to Rome, and we have to be able to speak Hebrew when we're talking to the Hebrews. Paul said, matter of fact, Paul said it in the scripture, he said, I become every man for every man so that I could tell him about the gospel. And so what did he do? That means he had to know some knowledge about what was going on. He had to understand the people group he was dealing with. As world changers, we have to understand who we're dealing with and we have to be prepared. And we prepare ourselves by studying the word. We prepare ourselves by studying about people groups. We prepare ourselves by studying other religions. What you know about Jehovah's Witnesses? What you know about Mormons? What you know about atheists? How would you tell an atheist about Christ? You walk up to somebody, oh, I don't believe God exists. Okay, see you later. <laughs> you know, what, 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 what do you say to them? Prepare yourselves. Our responsibility is to be world changers, and so we have to be prepared to change the world. Paul stood up, and this was his first defense. He turned to people, and he started speaking in Arabic, and the Bible says that he started off, and he pretty much said, you know me. Y'all know me. And he went on in verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 3, all the way to 17, and he told them through three things. He told them about Jesus and how the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. He told them about how he got converted, what happened to him. And he told about his obedience to God. He didn't get into the Greek. He didn't get into the deep theologies. He pretty much told them about Jesus and told them about himself. That's it. That's all we have to do. We're being world changers. All we have to do is tell people about Jesus and tell them what he did for you. That's all Paul said. He talked about the resurrection. He talked about his conversion, how his life has changed. And he talked about how that because of that, his life has changed and he is living a life obedient to God. And you can go through, read that uh, from verse 3 all the way down to verse 21. And the Bible says after this first defense, the Bible said they were all quiet. They just got really, really quiet, especially when we started talking to them in Aramaic. And they listened. And so even in the midst of being, and think about this, he just got jumped by a bunch of people. So he's bloody, nose might be broke, blood is everywhere, clothes half ripped off, and he's standing in front of them telling them about Jesus and what he's done for them. And they're sitting there looking at him, we just tried to beat this dude to death. What, what? And they listened to him. Even in every opportunity you have, when people are mean to you, when people are not listening to you, when people are abusing to you, we have to make sure we take every advantage to tell them about Christ. Because we're world changers. That's our mission. Even when we beat, even when they don't listen, we're world changers. And Paul said that he did, the Bible says that he did this, and it was cool until he said that last thing, because he's talked about in verse uh, 21. And the last thing Jesus told him, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And then they remember why they were beating him up, because <laughs> the Gentiles. And the Bible says that another fight broke out, a riot, and so Claudius Lysias, who was the governor, not, he wasn't the governor, he was the commander actually in charge of the area, he snatched up Paul. The Bible said he chained him between two chains, so he probably had two guards on each side of him, and he took him to barracks. And because Claudius didn't know what was going on, he was like, okay, I don't know what's going on, so what do we do? What does this manual say? To figure out what goes on, take out your whip and beat the dude. Okay, so we're going to beat him so he can tell us what happened. So he went and got the whip. They were about to scorch Paul, and Paul looked at him and said, are you going to be the Roman citizen? Now, remember, who was in charge? Rome. And there was a law in Rome that you couldn't just beat a Roman for no reason. You had to have a reason to do that. 
but they didn't know that he was Roman because this dude is talking Hebrew. Then he telling me, oh, he's Roman? And Paul said, yeah, I'm a Roman citizen. So he said, okay, if he's a Roman citizen, I can't beat him. So Paul was saved right then. But what he did was the next day, he set up a hearing, a council. Paul was going to be on trial. So this was his second defense. And he was on trial. He brought the chief priests and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they set up. And uh, uh, Claudius says, okay, uh, chief priests, y'all about to beat this dude. I don't know what the case was. Bring your case against him. So this is the next day. So Paul starts out talking, and after his first words, the chief priest at that time took his fist, or told a guy to punch Paul in the face. So Paul said, well, my name is Paul. Poosh, punch in the face. So Paul turns to the priest and say, listen, you whitewashed. <laughs> he pretty much cussed him out. But he called him a whitewashed guy. And everybody's like, how are you going to talk about that to the priest? And then Paul said, oh, I didn't know that was the priest because a priest wouldn't be a person who would command somebody to punch somebody in the face during a trial because he's a priest. So we don't know if Paul said that sarcastically <laughs> or if Paul really didn't know he was a priest or not. But what Paul understood right then was he was not going to get a fair trial. And so he said, you know what? I'm not going to get a fair trial here. I need to see how I'm going to get out of this situation. So remember who was there? The chief priests, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Now, because Paul was a world changer, Paul knew about the people who was involved in him, and we talked about that. So Paul said the one thing that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had beef about. They were all together about killing Paul, but there was one thing they had beef about, and that was the resurrection. See, the Pharisees, they believed in the oral law of God. And one of the things they believed in, they believed in angels, and they believed that somebody could die and somebody could raise from the dead. So they used to preach that. But the Sadducees, they did not believe in the resurrection. They were more on the literal written down. If it ain't written in the book, I don't believe it. So they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe anybody could die and raise from the dead. That's why they were sad, you see. Get it? Get it? The Sadducees. They were sad, you see. You got it. Because they didn't believe in resurrection. So Paul popped up and said, once he realized he wasn't getting a fair trial, he said, listen, listen, guys, I'm just here trying to prove the resurrection. And that's all they needed. The Pharisees were like, well, yeah, the resurrection. And the Sadducees were like, no, the resurrection. And the Bible said they started fighting amongst themselves. And the fight got so out of hand that Claudius, the, the Roman guy, said, look, Paul, let me get you out of here because this is crazy. So he snatched him up. And he said, I don't know what to do with this guy, Paul. Think about Paul during this time. For years and years and years and years, he's been going around Europe to all these cities, spreading the gospel, getting beat, getting shipwrecked, all this bad stuff happened to him. He finally gets home to Jerusalem, where but James and Paul, or James and Peter and all his boys are. He gets snatched up, beat up in the church, beat up outside the church. Dragged back and forth, riots are breaking out, all these things going out, and all he's still doing is still being a world changer. Then he's at this position where now they're about to send him to Caesarea because that's where Felix was. Look with me in Acts 23, verse 11. Acts 23, 11 said the following night, this is after the second time he was defense, after he got punched in the face <laughs> at court after the second riot broke out 
He's still, his body's still bruised and bloody from the night before. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. That's crazy to me. And all that was going on around him that night, Jesus showed up. And he said, take courage. I know you're getting beat. And, and the thing about it, it wasn't like Jesus popped up with Paul all the time. It's only a couple occasions the Bible said that Jesus showed up to Paul. And all that he went through in this time, Jesus showed up and he said, take courage. For, I, for as you have testified to the facts, I love that part. As you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, as world changes, our responsibility is to testify, to tell of the facts. That's all. We don't have to be eloquent. We don't have to make up stuff. It's all here. This is, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to just tell you the facts. And Jesus said, as you have testified about the facts of me here in Jerusalem, you must also testify also in Rome. And then King James says, you must also testify in front of Caesar. It's funny because those two words testify, and in my Bible it says testify and testify, but they're two very different words. The first one is testify means you told about it. The second one is martyr. So he basically said, as you have, take courage. Listen to this. Be cool. Be chill. Take courage. Because just as you have testified about the facts about me here in Jerusalem, you're going to have to die for me in Rome. So take courage. And how could Paul take courage in that? Because that was his mission. His mission was to change the world. Our mission is to change the world. And even in that, even in no one seemed to be listening to him, even in him trying to change the world, there was riots breaking out and blood. In that, Jesus said, take courage because you're doing what I've asked you to do just to change the world. It ain't going to go easy for us every time. Matter of fact, that, that word, I like that word martyr there, that second one, be a witness to me and to Caesar. That word has a wrapped up in it three things, legal, historical, and ethical. So Jesus told him that basically on the legal side, you're going to have to testify about me. That's the breaking down of the facts. That's the looking at the law and being able to explain legally what's going on. He said historically, that has to do with what you're seeing. Like you witnessed, you witnessed something, you saw something. And so responsibility to tell what he saw, what he, sell, what, he, what he dealt with, the things that he experienced. And then last part was ethically that you're going to have to die. You're going to have to give of yourself as we change this world for Christ. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. But the important thing to know is that Jesus said, take courage. That night, the Lord stood by him. It's interesting what happens after that, and we'll get into that a little bit later on in another message. But that night, a plot broke out. Forty guys got together and said, look, we're tired of this dude. We're going to kill him tonight. Said, Matter of fact, we're not going to eat anything until Paul is dead. That's how serious they were. And they went to the priests. <laughs> they went to the priests and said, look, here, priest, us 40, we're making a vow that we're not going to eat anything until Paul is dead. Priest said, you know what? That's a good idea. We got your back. So God's people 
were backing these people to go kill Paul. And that was pretty much the reason why Claudius sent him to Caesarea. Because when that was going on, remember the Lord said, take courage because I'm standing by you. While they were making this plot in secret, a little kid walked by and he heard. Yeah, we're going to kill this. We're going to kill this dude. Paul, yeah, we're going to kill him. Okay. Guess who that little kid at her was? It was Paul's nephew. Because even in all that, God was still sovereign. God is still in charge. All that stuff going on. Why? Because he was doing his mission. He was being a world changer. So as they plotted against him, as they were in secret and in corners making up this stuff, we're going to kill that dude. God sent Paul's nephew by there. He heard what was going on. He ran to the place and said, I got to talk to my uncle. They let him talk to Paul. He said, these 40 guys went to the priest and they say they're going to kill you. Paul said, take him, my nephew, to Claudius. So they took him to Claudius and Claudius was like, what? They go, why is everybody trying to kill this dude? And that's when Claudius wrote the letter to, 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 to the governor of Phoenix and say, look, they're trying to kill this guy. I'm sneaking him out tonight. And the Bible says that they got 200 soldiers and 200 centurions and 700 chariots, guys on chariots. So 470 Roman soldiers escorted Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea. No matter what we go through, and it's a lot of messages in that. No matter what we go through, remember God's in charge. He's sovereign. And it, sometimes it seems as though everything is against you. Paul said, I'm just trying to witness. I'm just, I'm just doing what you told me to do, God. I'm getting beat up. I'm getting jumped. All this stuff is happening. Because they were under Rome control, it was causing frustration and violence. All this stuff was happening. Yet in this, God sent 407 Roman soldiers, a Roman commander, Claudius Lysias, and in the end, a Roman governor, Felix. Those who God used to protect Paul. Keep Paul from the church folk. Keep Paul from the good folk. Keep Paul from the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Sanhedrin and the Jews who are trying to kill him. Why? Because God is still in control. And remember what God told him. Take courage. Because just like you talked about me here, you're going to have to do that in front of Caesar. And this was a way of God getting Paul from where he was to Caesar. Sometimes it feels like circumstances are stacked up against us. Sometimes it seems like people are stacked up against us. In all of that, know that God is still sovereign. And though we don't see what's God's working, Paul didn't know his nephew was out there chilling. Paul didn't know there was 40 people who said, you know what, we're not going to eat till we kill this dude. Now think how, how mad you got to be about somebody that you're going to vow you're not going to eat until you take a knife and slit his throat. Then we're going to eat. You got to really not like that dude. I mean, you really got to like, I like to eat, but you really got to not like this dude if you're going to do that. And this is what Paul was going on. He didn't know they were plotting against him. See, as we're in this world, as we are world changes, you don't know what's stacked up against you. You don't know all the stuff that's going on. You don't know what people are whispering about or what people are saying or what people are plotting or planning. But that shouldn't stop our mission. See, Paul didn't have to know that there was 40 people plotting to kill him because God knew and he was sovereign. And God sent his nephew to come and tell him and to get him out of there. So as we are changing the world, world changes. Don't be discouraged, oh, I'm scared. 
Think about Paul. Bloody, still changing the world. Don't be discouraged. Well, I just don't know what to say. Paul just told him, oh, this is what happened to me. I was walking one day on a horse, got fell off. I converted, and I became obedient. Oh, I don't have the words. God said, Jesus said, because you have told the facts about me in Jerusalem. Oh, you got the words. We got the facts. It's in this book right here. All we got to do is tell it. And God said, I will be with you. And all that God was beside him. I admonish you guys today. I encourage you, be able to tell your story. We're going to go through four defenses with Paul. This is just, he went through two today. And both of those defenses, all he did was tell his story. He just told what happened to him. That's the first part or the basic part of what it means to be a world changer. So I challenge you this week, look for opportunities to tell your story. That's it. Well, I need to study the Greek. Oh, I got to. No, 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 no. Just tell your story. Let's this week, everybody in this sound of my voice, under the sound of my voice, tell your story to one person. That's it. Just tell your story. My story is different than your story. Ray's story is different than Badia's story. But just tell your story of what, how you came to Christ and what Christ has done for you since then. And watch. Now, I warn you, you might get beat up. You might get laughed at. You might get punched in the face by a priest. You might be tied up between two soldiers and locked in the barracks and we're about to get whipped. There might be people who plot on the side, oh, we got to get this girl. We got to get her out of this job. I ain't going to hear that nonsense. All that stuff can happen. But Jesus said, like he told Paul, take courage. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your goodness. I pray, God, as we set ourselves apart, God, as world changers for you, that we will look at your word, God, and just tell our story. Tell what you did for us. And that we'll be encouraged by what Paul went through, God. And encouraged by the energy and the strength and the grace that you've given us, God. I pray this week, God, as we go out and share our story, God, that you would put people in our paths to hear our story, God. That you would set us where we need to be so we can tell our story, God. And God, that you, being almighty and all sovereign, God, already prepare the hearts of each individual that we're about to tell our story to, God. God, you didn't ask us to save folks. You just asked us to tell them. So be with us, God, as we tell of your facts here in Jerusalem. And prepare us, God, to the day when you tell us to tell your facts to Caesar. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.